the Lord. It's wonderful to be together, isn't it? And to come around to worship the Lord, around the Word of God. Can we just say these few words from Psalm 103 together before we start? It says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth my life from destruction, who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. That's good for us oldies, isn't it? Our youth can be renewed like the eagles. Praise the Lord. (laughs) It's wonderful, isn't it? The Word of God. I always say to our people, you know, you never depersonalize this word. This word is the living word of God. And when it becomes that reality in your life, then suddenly Jesus will start walking out of the pages. It won't be just words, but it will become words of life. It will become words which quicken you, which heal you, which transform you and uh, help you to walk this life of faith. We're all in a battle. We're all in the fight, the fight, the good fight of faith. And in this life we live, we need this living word. Man does not live by bread alone, it says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And when we become a child of God, we have access We have access to the place where that word is proceeding, but you have to make yourself available. You have to come each day, and you need your bread each day. Give me this day. This day, our living bread. Give us today, Jesus said in the model prayer. And the important thing is not to think you can live independent of your source. And this is what happens to believers. They live independent. They get put too much emphasis on this and not enough emphasis on him. It's all about Jesus. (laughs) It's all about him and what he has done for you and what he can do for you now. And this is the problem for God's people. You know, we get blessed. Oh, it's wonderful. I can just go on my own. No, no, you can't. You're dependent upon heaven. You're dependent upon your source. You cannot possibly live outside of God's provision. You need him every day. You must put him first. And you know, I was speaking last night a little bit about this incident about when Jesus said to his disciples, we must go to the other side. Get in the boat. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter thought, 
been experienced fishermen, seeing the clouds and the weather, thinking, is this the time to go to the other side? <laughs> and you know, Peter must have thought, when he got in that storm, why would Jesus tell me to go to the other side when I can see what the conditions are? <laughs> but Jesus was teaching him something. And what we've got to learn is that Jesus not only has all power, but he is the power. He is the very power source of this universe. It says that all things are upheld by the word of his power. Jesus is the creator. He is the very source of life. He's the very manifestation of life as he came as a man. And as we said before, when the woman at the well met Jesus and Jesus was sitting on that well, the Creator was sitting on that well. You've got to understand that Jesus has all power. Yes, because he is the power. And you know, I was thinking, as I was thinking about this man about this question on the boat, you know. And Jesus actually says to them, when, um, when he says, peace be still, as we said last night, and suddenly this whole storm ceases, and they were afraid of the, the storm, but now they became terrified about who was this man? Who is this man that can speak and suddenly a storm can subside like that. The waves stop brushing against the fish. It's all calm. And you know, in life, we go through stuff. I've been through some stuff. I don't know about you. <laughs> I've been to bed at night wondering, will I wake up in the morning? You know, I've been, as I've said before, down some dead ends and some cul-de-sacs and some pits. And, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> By the grace of God, <laughs> you know, as Artie Kendler said, it's overriding grace. He takes us through these things because he knows we're his child. But the point about this is what Jesus said to him, why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? And... That you, and he says to them, that you have no faith. See, at this point in time, these disciples were learning about redemption. They believed in the Messiah. But like many of the disciples at that time in his ministry, they still hadn't quite it quite what he was coming to do. They didn't quite get it. And you know, when we go through storms and we cry out to the Lord, we're supposed to be in a position as God's people to have a faith that overcomes when the storm comes. Because what you've got in you, as Peter says, or Paul says, to everyone that is a child of God is given a measure of faith. When you get born again, you're given a faith that is not natural faith that says to you, 
Well, if I sit on that chair, it won't collapse. This is a God kind of faith. But you've got to know how to use it and to develop it. And the more you grow spiritually, the stronger you become in faith, so that when you meet the test and the trial, you don't crumble, but you overcome. And this is what God is wanting to do to you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to develop. He wants you to get stronger. Because faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. And so your word, this word, is very important. Because without this word, you can't live. Not spiritually. You'll die. And what will happen is it says in Hebrews, the provocation of the world, the wilderness, will get at you. And your heart will get hardened. And when your heart gets hardened, you get at what Paul calls a heart of unbelief. Do you know your most dangerous condition as a believer is unbelief? That is the prince of sins. This is what an old preacher said. He said, unbelief is the Beelzebub. It's the prince of sins, which makes other sins. Behind every failure that I've had has been unbelief. Behind every failure that you have, it's unbelief. Not believing in who Jesus is and his power to change your life. So that when you have a need, you don't run to the phone, you run to the throne where Jesus is. He's got the power, but you have to run to the throne in your time of need. We have to realize that he has got all power, but he is the power. Because he's been elevated, the word of God says, to a name which is above every other name in heaven and earth and beneath the earth. And so my whole life becomes absorbed with him. And when that happens, and you wake up in the morning, and it's Jesus. And you wake up after lunch, and it's Jesus. If you're old, you wake up after lunch. (laughs) And if you come in the evening, it's Jesus. (laughs) And when you get wrapped up in him, and and you start walking with Jesus, nothing really gets to you. Because where Jesus is, there's power, there's peace, there's joy. It's wonderful. He's such a wonderful person, isn't he? And it's the Holy Spirit, really, that reveals who Jesus is, isn't it? It's the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says, and we come to this in a minute, I mustn't run before my time. But this is what old, this old preacher said, Gunnell. Unbelief deserves a high place among sins as faith has among graces. The poison words which Eve took in from the tempter, yea, hath God said. The word of God is full of promises. And when you have a need, there's always a promise in the book to meet your need. There isn't a need anywhere that you'll have in your life that isn't promised. 
if we'd be met in this book with Satan to you, have it. Can you have it? Can your need really be met? Is your need too big? Or is it too difficult? Or can you ask too much? Are you asking too much? <laughs> you just can't ask too much to Jesus. <laughs> because there's no shortage up in heaven. <laughs> there's no shortage in his economy. You cannot ask too much. Just ask big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he can meet your need. And this is what he says, Ganel. Took in from the tempter. When Eve succumbed and opened the traitor's gate, it says, for other sins to rush in, Eve's heart was now still Satan. And this is the point he makes. And now Satan still keeps this gate open. You mustn't listen to his lies. He is a liar. He's a thief. He's a destroyer. Look what he's doing to young men today who think they've been marginalized and turning over to these radical groups and blowing themselves up and killing everybody else because they can see no hope in life. Well, when you get Jesus, you're face to face with life. It's life you need. It's life you need. And this is the point, as Gurnell says. He says that the secret of sin's stronghold upon a person is unbelief. That's the secret of his stronghold. There is no mastering of sin while unbelief overpowers you. There are two sins that drain preeminence in hell, that have pre claimed preeminence in hell. One is hypocrisy, and the other is unbelief. Beware of unbelief. And you know, there's something about us as Christian people where we think, well, if I can't believe that, that isn't too bad. But Jesus is saying to you, as he said to those disciples in the boat, where is your faith? Why don't you have any faith? And you know, this challenges me because I've been through some stuff I've, I've even been mad at God in the past. I don't know whether you have. And I felt so sorry for myself. And I've been through all this and all the other, and, 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 you know, and you know, the enemy can play on that until you really feel a bit, but you've got to grasp. And you have to keep looking, as James says, into this perfect law of liberty in Christ. And as you look at this liberty and you look at who Jesus has done and who Jesus is, it delivers you from yourself. And now you see yourself in Christ. And everything changes. Your whole outlook changes. You know, as I said before, don't be a scratching end down here. Ascend to those heavenly places and stay up there. And live with Jesus. Now the point of this, what is Jesus getting at? You know, when you read this about the boat and the storm and everything, you think, well, isn't Jesus being a bit unreasonable here? 
Isn't this storm a real storm? And aren't these experienced fishermen? And don't they know what a storm is? It must have been bad because these were experienced fishermen who fished on this lake continually and they saw storm after storm and this one was so bad they thought they were going to die. But you see, what Jesus was teaching them is if you know Jesus (laughs) and Jesus is with you if you're a child of God, he never leaves you you're never going to sink. You haven't got a hope of sinking. (laughs) Because Jesus is never going to sink. And if he's never going to sink, neither are you. (laughs) And this is the point. It's all a question of believing. And as the old great preacher Burnell said, unbelief. My what a terrible thing it is. My father always used to say, the great, cherish a believing heart. Cherish a believing heart. You have to keep, as Proverbs, you know, Solomon said in Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all diligence. You have to keep it. Look, you look after your house, you look after your clothes. You look after your shoes, whatever it is. Well, the most important thing is to look after your new man. He's more important than your shoes and your clothes. Because Jesus said, if you seek me first and my kingdom, I'll give you shoes. I'll give you what you need. (laughs) You won't need anything, lack anything. I can give you what you need and even what you want. Psalmist says, I shall not want. (laughs) Did God bless David, the shepherd boy? Didn't he bless him? Didn't he bless him? My goodness. (laughs) God is not a stingy God. Oh, no. It's life, but not just life, Jesus said, but life more abundant. Oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch you this week, that you go home and you'll fall in love with Jesus, that he'll awaken your heart. Do you know when people are asleep, they don't know they're asleep? Do you know when you're asleep, you dream a lot of rubbish? When you're asleep, you add two new books to the Bible, Imaginations 1 and Imaginations 2. <laughs> I won't tell you of the odd dreams I've had. I've had some odd dreams. No, you have to keep awake. Don't you? Because as we heard last night, Jesus might be knocking on your door and you're asleep and you don't let him in. <laughs> yeah. Or you might get a jolly good slap on the thigh. Yeah. Do you know it's possible to drop off spiritually? Oh, yeah. You've got to keep awake. (laughs) You've got to keep your mind alert. Don't let all this stuff get at you. (laughs) 
Thank God for the, you know, God blesses us, but don't let the stuff get at you. Just leave it there and thank God for it and keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the secret, isn't it? That's the secret. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Anything or anyone who has any power, Jesus says, has it on loan from me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They have it on loan from Jesus, somebody said. But what what struck those disciples was that that the storm is unmanageable to natural man, isn't it? A tsunami a hurricane, a cyclone, desperate floods, they're unmanageable, but not to Jesus. So when the disciples suddenly found out that this man could control even winds and storms, the thought that came to their mind was that Jesus is completely unmanageable. You know, there's something about us, we like to be in control, don't we? Don't we? Yeah. I'll go to Jesus when I want to go to Jesus. No, 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 no. You just can't treat Jesus like that. (laughs) Jesus is the power. (laughs) You better listen to him. (laughs) He is Lord. So if you want the power to flow in your life, you better stay connected. Isn't that right? <laughs> they suddenly began to realize this is unlike, because they thought, you see, well, you see, Jesus has got, he's got all this uh, ability and he can get these Romans out. You remember when those two disciples said to him, we want to sit one on the right <laughs> and one on the left. <laughs> you know, some people in the church, they just come to get something. I want to sit on the right. <laughs> or I want to sit on the left. Oh, no, no, no. No, this is... See, what Jesus gives to you, what he thinks you can handle. That is true. Isn't it right? He gave to one five talents, one two, and one one. Why? Because he thought he knew what those servants can handle. He knows what I can handle, and he knows what you can handle. So I don't look at what somebody else has got, I've got to use what God gives to me. Isn't that right? Yeah, you've got to use what God gives to you. I can't help what you've got. And if you've got a lot more than me, then Jesus thinks you can handle it. And great. And it's great. And we've just got to be willing for that. You see, Jesus is unmanageable power. And in fact, it terrified them. <laughs> It is, in fact, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You better not grieve the Holy Spirit. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. I can see people who grieve the Spirit and then serious trouble. You can't do it. You're dealing with the power, source, of the universe. Think about it. Just take time to think about it. Yeah. 
Jesus has asked his disciples, where is your faith? You know, this business about faith, you know, the story is told about a bloke, you know, if you have a bloke on top of a cliff and suddenly loses his footing and he falls off the cliff and as he's falling, he sees a, a big branch sticking out of a tree. He doesn't say, well, I wonder if that branch is strong enough to hold me. He thinks, I'm getting hold of that branch. (laughs) Well, the truth is, Jesus is the branch. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus is the branch. No, it's not. It's the object of your faith. This word of God has to be to you, Jesus speaking to you. It's not just information. It is information, yeah. It does feed your mind, yes. But it's teaching you, what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, he's trying to teach you and me is to believe in him, to trust in him, to follow him, to listen to him, to be his disciple and walk with him. Isn't it? And this is a growth. You stumble at this, you know, because like, like Peter did, he stumbled. But he grew to a place where he became a great apostle. And he gave it, and he, well, he really wrote Mark, really. Peter did. He dictated it. And Mark wrote it down. And he wrote those two epistles, didn't he? And what epistles they are. I tell you, it's wonderful what Jesus can do in your life. Hallelujah. But there's another story in the Bible about a bloke in a boat. Isn't there? Do you know another story about a bloke in a boat? His name was Jonah. He <laughs> <laughs> <It> was Jonah. <laughs> His name was Jonah. Yeah, he was in a boat. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, somebody said, if you run from God, you'll be like Jonah. (laughs) But do you know what Jesus said? A greater than Jonah is here. They They threw, when the storm came, they threw Jonah into the sea. And the storm The storm finished. But Jonah had a resurrection. (laughs) Didn't he? And he got got swallowed up by a big fish. And when he came out, the people in Nineveh thought, what on earth is this? And they all repented, didn't they? (laughs) But we got a greater than Jonah. (laughs) Oh, it's a greater than Jonah. Praise the Lord. Oh, Jonah, only one thing to do. If I perish, he told those people on the boat, you'll survive. If I die, you will live. But Jesus says, I am the true Jonah. Jesus was thrown into the storm 
at the cross. Think about it. Jesus went to the cross and to destroy destruction, to break brokenness, to kill death. Jesus on the cross went into the storm of eternal justice. Think about it. Eternal justice was done upon the cross for our wrongdoing. And as Jesus bowed his head in the ultimate stone, in the ultimate storm, But do you know this? Because if you know that Jesus did that, and he did, you will never doubt that Jesus can take you through every storm. Because he went through the ultimate storm. You will never have to go through what he went through. He did it for you and me. That we might have life. Isn't it wonderful? We have eternal life. Turn to me, John 17, 17, and this is what Jesus says in his great high priestly prayer. In John 17, 17. And these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And this is the statement. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus completely finished the work. You know, there's an idea in the church that, um, and this is a problem, I think, for us as believers, that where Paul says in Philippians this statement, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, And then Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a work you and I have got to do. We are called to the service of God's house. We are called as servants in God's house. We must wake up in the morning and realize that we are part of a heavenly company. We are pilgrims on a way to a new heaven and a new earth. But on the way, 
we have got to learn to do our spiritual service. And this is important. This is where some people go wrong because they think, oh, I just surrendered all to Jesus and he'll just do it. No, no, he's done all he's done. And he's, he's completed this work as positive obedience to every legal demand of the law that God wrote. He crossed every T, he dotted every I, he fulfilled that earthly walk perfectly. That plan that was planned before eternity. He, he, he fulfilled it completely. And he's saying here, I have finished that work. Now he's about to go to the Gethsemane, to the trial, to the scourging, to the cross. And now he's going to fulfill that part as the Lamb of God passively. And on the cross, when he did that, he cried, it is finished. So there's two finishings. His earthly walk and the, and the passive obedience as the Lamb of God upon the cross. Jesus never failed once. Think about it. Do you know I get irritated with myself when I fail? And we do fail. We trip over things at times. But we need to repent. We want to keep close accounts. You know, George Whitfield was a great man of God. And I've read his journal, wonderful journals of George Whitfield. And before he went to bed every night, he used to have a 17 points on a piece, a card, and used to say to the Lord, have I lived my life today and fulfilled this, 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 this? That was his way of keeping his heart right, of keeping his service to God right, of keeping his life in tune with God. And that man could hold a crowd of 30,000 people with no microphone. That is supernatural. You read his journal, it's absolutely phenomenal. Why? Because he had the power of God flowing in him. The life of God flowing in him. And that's what needs to happen to me and you. We need to get separated unto God. Or the word, the biblical word is sanctified. Or sanctification. We need this, church. I know it's not popular, but we need it. Oh, we need it. Your flesh will run riot with you if you don't do something about it. It will. And Jesus said, I have finished the work. See, sanctification is a required positive obedience. The the incarnation is is the Jesus obeyed in every detail the legal requirements of the law because Satan is illegal. Everything about Satan is out of order. It's illegal. Everything about Jesus is legal. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's, when Adam failed, he broke the law. He broke his covenant. 
He broke his covenant of works. And this is the problem in the church. And we get these preachers keep comparing Old Testament with law. It's not law, it's works. The law was a standard God required and Jesus met it completely. He met it completely. So Romans 8 says, what does Romans 8, 4 says? That the, the, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in you and me and you and me. The, the, the righteousness of the law who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There's a difference. This is the truth. Don't stand for anything else. It's not law and grace. It's works and grace. Law just came alongside. There's a false impression that God gave the law to save mankind. He never did. Never did. It will never save nobody. Faith in the Messiah and that before the cross saved Abraham. It saved Noah. And it saves me now. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in me who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So I'm called to a life of faith. As he said in North Wales, I was talking about Abraham. God taught Abraham how to walk by faith until he became the friend of God. And God told him everything that was going on. And he lived in a violent world. But he said, I'm your shield and exceeding great reward. Don't you think it's better to walk with Jesus? But you know, our flesh can talk to us. Oh, yeah. My flesh has talked to me a few times. The old stinker. (sighs) Paul says, I keep under my body that having preached to others, I myself would become a castaway. As I said to you before, you've got to talk to yourself. (laughs) You've got to speak to yourself. And you've got to speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and and keep talking to your soul. (laughs) Where is your problem area, mind? It's the soul. It's the mind, the will, and the emotion. Oh, I feel this. Well, you're not supposed to feel it. You're supposed to walk by faith. They just live by feelings? No. They live by faith. (laughs) We've got to learn to, and it's, it's a discipline. You know, I can't, my wife speaks Welsh. I find it very difficult to speak Welsh. In fact, I've given up. I can say just a few words, you know. Weddy blinos and things like that. But you know, we've got to learn this language of faith. Oh yeah, it takes some Discipline. Because you want to say what you feel. Oh, yeah, I feel this, and I feel that. Oh, no, you learn to speak the word of God. But you can't speak it if it's not in your fridge. 
You can't get it out if it's not in your spiritual fridge or on your spiritual computer. You can't download it if it's not on there. And this is the problem. You know, we get things in life, projects in life, like I've had recently, and you go to bed at night and you start thinking about this, and the Holy Spirit said to me, stop thinking about that project and think about me. Cast the whole burden on me. And that's what you've got to do. Cast the whole burden on the Lord. Because he will carry your burdens. He will. He will carry your burdens. But this is a walk of faith. It's not that easy, is it? These things can get at us, but we're learning to walk by faith and be strong men. What is Hebrews all about? It's all about this, this bunch of unbelievers that were given this tremendous land, and it's like God's house. We've been given this wonderful inheritance, and we live in like church mice. And we should be living as kings and feasting at the table. As I said last night, if a seraphim and Ephesian woman we could get blessed through crumbs, when we got the whole loaf, why don't we eat the whole loaf? What's wrong with us? Because we need to be keep looking into this perfect law of liberty, as James says. Well, I've never studied the book of James till Alan gave me this other book, you know, The Cell and the Glory Way. I'm finding this book a little bit difficult. I've only read a bit of it. And then my son sends me the same book, but the first half of James. Because James says, show me your faith (laughs) by your works. (laughs) Yeah. You know, some of us people were brought up in church uh, listening to Luther, and Luther said, James's epistle is an epistle of straw. <laughs> because he was so bound up in religion, and when he got the revelation that he was justified by faith, and not by all these penances and everything, he got so blessed by it, he just went over all that way. Well, we have to keep balanced. We do. We have to keep balanced, don't we? We can't, you know, we can't go too much one way, too much the other way. You know, we got some people in the faith camp, they become a bit legalistic. We got some people in the grace camp, they've gone a little bit too far that way. But we want to keep in the middle, on the main road of truth. Keep balanced, don't we? And that's the way we've got to be. We've got to keep balanced. But you see, this is the point. What is the greatest definition of a Christian? If somebody asked you, what is the best definition you can think of what a Christian is? Well, you could think of a lot of answers. You get regenerated, you get reborn, you get saved, you send that. But really, forgiveness, justification, sanctification, glorification, it's all for one purpose. And what is the purpose? Here it is in this prayer. That he should give forgiveness of sins? To as many as has given him? No. Eternal life. <laughs> it's eternal life. J 
do you know that if you're a believer, you've got eternal life? Think about it. If you can grasp that you've got eternal life, and that life is working in you, when you get something a bit, you know, like I did, I was clearing all this stuff away last week, and I said, did you, oh, my, my wrist got a bit funny, but I mustn't say that. I may say, with his stripes, I mean. And, and, and it's straight, isn't it? We, we want to say what we feel. We mustn't do it. Do you know, if we can understand that we've got eternal life, what a difference that will make. You know, all this stuff is scaffolding to help us come to life. So what is your battle between life and death? I'm going to choose life. And you? Are you going to choose life? I am. What did Jesus say? My words are spirit and they are life. It's wonderful. We've come to the life source. We've come to Jesus. If we can get all of this, get our mind renewed. But what does eternal life mean? Well, it means that if you've really got eternal life, and this person is given to you as a gift that you didn't deserve, I didn't deserve it, I've got this eternal life. That means I'm part of the household of faith and everything, the inheritance is mine. It's yours. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? This wonderful, wonderful inheritance. Oh, hallelujah. It's wonderful that he should give eternal life the life of God. And this life will empower you under every test and trial and storm. You know, we sing a song, I got the life of God in me. I got the life of God in me. I got his life, his virtue, and his ability. I got the life of God in me. Well, you've got to keep singing these songs, see? Yeah, you've got to keep singing it. Sing into yourselves in psalms and hymns and tell your soul that you've got the life of God in you. And whatever is needs changing, the life of God can come through to that part and change it. Yeah. Yeah, he can change it. Because wherever Jesus touched, wherever Jesus said, it happened. So if I'm in tune with Jesus and I've got his life, that means I've got his word. I've got his inheritance. So I can walk around with the realization that I'm a child of God. I'm a son and daughter of the living God. And Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I walk by faith and I don't walk by sight. And I tell my soul, bless the Lord. You know, David wrote this psalm, and we, we're like this. In Psalm 45, he says this.
it's not Psalm 45. Uh, oh, it's Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And he says, when shall I come and appear before God? And this is the secret. This is what David learned to do. I pour out my soul in me. That's what you do. You pour out your soul in your need to God. David learned to do this, didn't he? He said, For I gone with the multitude, I went to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, and the multitude holding it. And then he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And sometimes our soul gets cast down with all this and what that. Why am I disquieted? For I will yet praise him for the help of my countenance. I think if you look in your Bible in the Psalms, you'll find that David mentions his soul a lot. (laughs) And that's a very good point to grasp. Because that's where you need sanctification. Justified, declared righteous. And now it's been imparted to you on a progressive level of spiritual power. This righteousness that is not only imputed to you when you were born again, but now it's been imparted to you. And as it's imparted to you, you become a person who lives in the Spirit. And you glorify God, and you enjoy the life of God. You enjoy the life of God. And what a difference that means. You know, you mustn't let people push you around. You're not here at everybody's beck and call, but you are at the beck and call of Jesus. There's a secret here. You've got to put Jesus first. This is a big test for us. We've got to put Jesus first. Because if you go out on your own and run from God like Jonah you will end up in the depth somewhere. And he cried, didn't he, from the depths. And God had mercy from him. And he gave him a resurrection. You don't tell me somebody drops to the bottom of the sea and doesn't die. Of course he was dead. But he had a resurrection. And God will have mercy on you and me sometimes when we're foolish. And he brought him back to his calling, didn't he? And he'd give you a resurrection. Do you know there's a perfect will of God for your life and mine? But do we find it? But we can, if we will. And I believe the Lord will help you as he helped me. And sometimes he puts things in your life, like these people on the boat. Why is Jesus saying, where is your faith? It's because they're beginning to understand progressively I mean, you know about the two on the road to Emmaus, we talked about them. We thought, we thought, we thought. And we think, we think, we think. But sometimes our thinking is not quite right because it's not based upon the Word of God. We need to get it straightened out. But it's the Holy Spirit that changed those disciples. 
It's the Holy Spirit that coming on your life to anoint you will change your eyesight, will change your hearing, so that you'll see Jesus and you'll see what he did and what he accomplished. The two finishes. But he's not finished, Jesus. He's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you now. Jesus never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's always 24-7 for you there. Think about it. Isn't it right? That's how wonderful a person Jesus is. What if Romans 5 says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have access by faith into <laughs> therefore being justified by faith we have sorry peace with God that's the peace that word is shalom in, in the Hebrew and shalom means wholeness for your spirit your soul and your body isn't it wonderful this is a perfect redemption. It's perfect, but can you believe it? Can you receive it? Can you take it? It's all been finished. Think about it. By whom we now have access, by faith into this grace, wherein we stand, and what? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I haven't got access to Buckingham Palace, have you? I doubt if we'd even get a pass if I wanted one. But I've got access to the throne. Have you? <laughs> but do you go to the throne? <laughs> this is the problem. <laughs> Isn't it? You know, we've somehow got to realize what the tremendous privilege we have. And he says, rejoice. And not only so, he said, but we glory. Oh, yeah. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations worketh patience. Patience experience. And experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the what? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. See, if you can glory in your tribulation and give him thanks and praise and say, Jesus, you never leave me nor forsake me, you will feel the Father's love. You'll feel that comfort. You'll feel that strength you'll feel that ability. You know, when your little girl fell down, or your little girl, she wants some comfort. And you pick her up and say, oh. And you cuddle that child, and you comfort them. Do you know, the Holy Ghost is the comforter. <laughs> he is. The love of God. You know when Corrie Tin Boom was in that Belson prison 
and she was hiding Jews, she said how she survived was on this verse. The love of God. Every one of her relatives died, but she survived because she felt the Father's love. You and I need to get closer to Jesus. Go home. I talk to Jesus. <laughs> Just keep touching. Just keep lifting up your hands and worshiping the Lord. And you tell the Lord, I love you, Lord. Do you know that Jesus, in the council of the Godhead, before the foundation of the world, was willing to go and be our substitute? And that is a tremendous thing. I was looking up these, these, um, these scriptures, and as I was looking them up, I realized there's scripture after scripture in the Word of God which says, the Lamb of God before the foundation of the world. It was all planned. God is a master planner. This plan of redemption was planned before the foundation of the world. And Jesus came on a mission to fulfill that plan in every single detail. The incarnation, the birth in Bethlehem, his bar mitzvah, his youth, his baptism in Jordan, his birthly ministry, Gethsemane, the cross, Everything, Jesus did it for you and for me. In detail, the whole plan. And as he said, and I read to you in John 17, I have finished the work. He cried on the cross, it is finished. And and Hebrews 7 said, he ever lives to save us to the uttermost. Jesus will never fail you. You've simply got to believe. What is our great enemy? Unbelief. Satan wants you to doubt what Jesus says as he tempted Eve and then Adam fell through that temptation. And you will fall through unbelief. Bernal's right. Your greatest enemy and my greatest enemy is unbelief. We mustn't tolerate it because behind unbelief is fear. And fear is the opposite to faith, isn't it? What happened to Adam when he fell? He feared and he hid himself. When you sin, you don't want to talk to God. But you can get your fellowship renewed because Jesus is our advocate the righteous one, our great high priest. If we confess our sins, John says he's willing and just to forgive all our sins. So you can put things right. You can get in fellowship with God. But you need to keep in fellowship with God. Keep the lines of communication open. Because if you don't, Satan will confuse you. And then he'll bemuse you. And then you'll be cut off. Your fuse will go out in your power source. And there'll be no power coming through. I tell you what, it's time to get 
in contact with the living God. Isn't it? It's time to open our hearts to him and say, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to let you be this, the governor of my life. You can't manage Jesus. He's unmanageable. You can't manage that kind of power. But Jesus can manage you. Isn't it? And I think here's the secret. We have to realize that what we have in Christ is so wonderful, is so glorious, is so wonderful. An old writer read this, When through the deep waters I call you to go, or the rivers of woe, they shall not overflow. For I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. The soul that on Jesus has learned to repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell, shall endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Praise God. Jesus will never leave you, nor forsake you. He ever lives to make intercession for you. He wants to be everything you need in life. He wants to give you those things you need in your life. Because he is the Savior. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. And, and as I was, you know, when I think about the tremendous things that Jesus did, it says Jesus was punished so we could be forgiven. He was wounded so that we can be healed. He was made sin that we might be righteous. He died that we might share his resurrection life. He bore the curse that we might have the blessing. He became poor that we might have abundance. He took our shame to give us his glory. And he took our rejection that we might have acceptance. Jesus is a wonderful person, isn't he? Thank you, Jesus. And to believe this, we must affirm. And as we affirm our faith daily, we'll learn by experience to believe in the heart and confess with the mouth. Because if we'll do this, we'll have the four great blessings. The holiest will be opened up. We'll have boldness by the blood of Jesus. We will live in this new and living way. And we, Christ will become your great high priest. You see, if you can understand that what you say is before Jesus, your great high priest, he's waiting for you and I to agree with what he says. And so when we agree with what he says, he can do what you say he can do. We can't hide from Jesus. 
We can't. But Jesus wants to give you this eternal life, as he says in this prayer in John 17. And this is the other, the other important thing, and I know it's a big prayer, I'd be here all morning and start getting into it, but um, just to say this, a famous verse, and I think the whole holiness movement, church movement in days past was based on this word, verse 1770 says, Jesus said these words to, the, to us, the church, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see, we can get confused about things, but what the word of God does, it brings truth to your heart so that you see what is right and what is wrong. See, this is important. The truth reveals. You see, when John opens this gospel, you look in John, really the gospel of John is all about the life of God. As Henry Scrooger, an old Scotsman, said, it's the life of God in the soul of man. And this is what John the Apostle says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then it says, in Christ, in him was what? Life. And the life was the light. It's the light. In this world it's dark, and what goes on in the darkness is evil. But when the light comes on, we know then what is right and what is wrong. It's the light. He's the light of life. And he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not, etc. See, this is the, and then it says, and this is the key verse really of John's gospel, and all this fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. We are entering, God wants you to enter into a greater degree of understanding and enlightenment of what you are in Christ, and who I am in Christ, so that we walk by faith and please God. Because the Word of God says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And this is a problem. You know, there's some people who think they're doing right, and they're not, because they're not going on the truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see, previous to this, Jesus says these words. He says... Um, uh, this is what he says in 19 for their sakes that's us Jesus is saying this in his prayer I sanctify myself well if Jesus had to sanctify himself and you're a follower of Jesus then you and I have got to do the same so when evil comes at the table you don't say sit down I'll try some of this No, no, no. The word of God says to you and gives you light. And he says you don't try some of Satan's delicacies. Because if you eat it, you'll soon find your mouth is filled with gravel, as Dillonel says. It will kill you. But this word will build you up. Won't it? So praise God. Let's think about Jesus, isn't it?
Let's worship the King, innit? Let's think about who Jesus is, what he did in his obedience to sanctify himself, to save us. How he went to the cross, it's finished. And how he ever lives to make intercession for me now. I can come to him any time. Isn't it wonderful? Simply believe. Simply believe. So praise God. We thank you this morning, Lord, that we're your people. We lift our hands to you, the living God, that has been revealed to us by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. We say, come Holy Spirit and touch our lives. Give us, anoint our eyes that we will see thee, Jesus. Open our ears that we will hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and that we will hear and your words which are spirit and life will impart life to us and we will enjoy this abundant life. Hallelujah. As our days, so shall our strength be. That we will be like Moses. We will go to glory in the strength of days. And you will come for us, Lord, because you are a glorious God. You come to share your glory with us, the church. Help us, Lord, to glorify you. That as we glorify you, you will be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.